this morning. Um, normally I'm over here and I'm over here today. I, well, I'm both, I was both places, so it's like, I don't know, three feet of difference or something, but it's a lot, of, lot more work. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, I'm, ser- I'm so glad to be speaking with you guys this morning. I don't get to speak too much because of my other responsibilities that I have here at the church, and, and uh, I'm, I'm really excited to be speaking to you today. I really feel like the Lord has laid on my heart a really heavy message um, to share, not heavy in a bad way, but just he laid it heavy on my heart like you've got to share this. So, um, so, uh, so that's what we're going to do this morning. Um, uh, it's, it's, again, just my privilege to be speaking with you this morning. And today we're wrapping up our current sermon series, The True Cost of Living. And uh, today we're going to wrap up this sermon series, The True Cost of Living. And if you're anything like me, this series has been really challenging. But in a, it's been in a good way, though. Like, I, I, it's made me kind of take stock and realize how much we have in our society and how incredibly blessed we are and, and how blessed we are compared to other countries and how easy it is to just take for granted the blessings that we have. And if you missed the sermon series in week one, Pastor Chris introduced us to the idea of how rich we are as a society. And even if we don't feel like it, the truth is, compared to other countries, we are incredibly rich. He presented us with the fact that if we make $37,000 a year or more, we're in the top 4% of the world in income. And if you as a family make $48,000 a year or more, then you're in the top 1% of the world in income. Guys, that should be perspective-shifting information to us. And yet we still strive to keep this tight grip on our money. And what ends up happening nine times out of ten is our money gets a grip on us. In week two, Pastor Chris spoke about putting our trust not in our riches, but the God who richly provides, and how we need to refuse to believe the lie that anything else but God will bring us true peace. No amount of money, things, security will bring you peace like God can. Amen? In week three, the focus was put on how we need to decide to do more and give more and share from our abundance with those in need And that the true cost of living means that we decide to be rich in good deeds instead of filling up our own storehouses. And finally, the doc star himself, Dr. Mark Ashley, he hit the the ball right out of the park last week in in week four. um, And he shared just his unique perspective on this sermon series. And one uh, of the many things he brought to light was how we treat the poor is a direct reflection of how we love God. And I know for a fact, Mark lives that out in his life. He would never, ever in a million years tell you this, but I'm going to tell it because I'm not under that restraint. Um, I can tell all of Mark's secrets. What do you want to know? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, No, Uh, Mark would never tell you this, but he was Riverside County's, the county, Volunteer of the Year for his work with helping homeless people with medical care. Right? That's, pretty, that's, that's so awesome. He would never tell you that in a million years, and yet he lives that out in his life. That's the work he's doing. And 
I sort of let the cat out of the bag of how great he is, as if we didn't already know. <laughs> but he also, uh, Dr. Mark also spoke about how we work so hard to earn our money and the things that we accumulate through the course of our life. But the fact is that the percentage of giving for every single one of us is the same when it comes to the end of our life. We will all give 100% of what we have because we can't take it with us when we die. The, li- the life that we have is fleeting. It- it's gone in the blink of an eye. I- to me, I-, I just think this has been a fabulous sermon series, really super challenging. And-, and if you missed any part of it, you can always check out our church website and catch up on the podcast. So you're probably wondering, all right, music boy, where are we going today with this sermon series? Well, like I said, we're going to close the sermon series out today, but I really had this thing burdened on my heart by the Lord. And so today we're going to take a hard look at how we can take action to implement this perspective shifting information into our own lives. Because the true cost of living requires action. I think Pastor Chris and Dr. Mark did an outstanding job of opening our eyes to how much we have and how blessed we truly are. Whether we know it or not, guys, we are, we are rich. But today, I think we need to address the reality that as many of our own situations, when our own situation, we feel the furthest thing from being rich that could possibly be. The reality is that many of us live paycheck to paycheck. We daydream of having a savings account that we can pull from when emergencies come up. Speaking of that, does anybody know how to work on a dryer? (laughs) Just going to throw that out there. No, we dream about having a savings account we can pull from when emergencies come up. and, And if at the end of the month all the bills are paid and there's a little left over, it's like cause for celebration, man. And... Now, this position I'm describing in most cases is a situation of our own design. You know, we've, we've chose to do things with our money that we couldn't really afford, and therefore our money margin becomes smaller and smaller. But I'm not going to get too much into that today because I feel like we've already addressed that in some of the other sermons, and we've kind of already hammered that nail. So, um, Yes, I mean, absolutely yes. We have got to make better decisions with our money, but the decisions we have made are in the past now. What's done is done. There's no going back. The question that matters now is where do we go from here? How do we begin to live this life of true generosity when we feel like what we have already isn't enough? This is the reality of how many of us feel and that fear of giving up what little we do have makes it really easy to not even try. But God is always there, giving us cause to trust Him more and more. Sometimes all it takes is just a little leap of faith to begin to see the miracles God is capable of. So if you would turn in your Bibles with me or your iDevices, whichever you brought with you... um, Uh, Would you turn with me in in your Bibles to John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. I'm going to go ahead and set up the story while you're turning there. At this point in the book of John, Jesus has been traveling around with his disciples, healing people, preaching about... 
the spiritual harvest that is ready to take place. Jesus had been doing a lot of ministering to people and the word about who he was rumored to be started to spread. The Jewish religious leaders of the day caught wind of all that Jesus had been doing and saying and they didn't like it one little bit. And in John chapter 5, they try to trap Jesus by asking him what they believe to be some incriminating questions. But Jesus comes right out and lays it out and tells them who he really is. That he is the Son of God and that the Father has sent him with work to complete. Then he takes the opportunity to call the Jewish leaders out by saying, You may work furiously at studying the scriptures written by Moses, but I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. Because if you really believe the scriptures you have studied, you would know that I am the one who Moses spoke about. He said, You do not really believe Moses, the one on whom you have set your hopes, and so therefore, how are you going to believe what I say? And then he ended that whole transaction with some sassy finger snaps, like, you know. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the Jewish religious leaders were like, say, what? What did you say? You know, like, um, I mean, this was a massive slap in the face to some of these, some, some very important men in the community. And, and after this showdown, the news of who Jesus was rumored to be spread, was spreading like wildfire. The buzz that was going around about Jesus would have had TMZ chomping at the bit to get the scoop, you know? Um, crowds of people began to follow Jesus wherever he went to see if the rumors were true. And this is the climate of the times where we pick up our scripture today. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? Let's read John chapter 6, 1 through 15. Chapter 6, verse 1. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that, had, that he had performed by, sealing, he, <laughs> by, by healing the sick. Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd of coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they, so they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves that were left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet 
who is coming into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Okay, you may be seated. So many of us have heard this story a hundred times, but I really think that this story applies to where we're going today. And so let's just set up the scene. Let's, let's, let's talk about what, what's going on here in this scripture. Um, you have Jesus and his disciples up on a mountainside in the middle of nowhere. Crowds of thousands of people were following to see what he might do next. Probably many of them heard the news about who Jesus was and dropped what they were doing to follow him. Most likely not a lot of thought went into preparing for the journey to where Jesus was going. So when they arrived, Jesus knew that these people were going to need provided for. So he turns to Philip, one of his disciples, and says in verse 5, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And the Bible goes as far to say Jesus was testing him because he already knew what he was going to do. Jesus was asking Philip for a human solution to a problem when there wasn't one. Because if anyone would know where to buy food in these parts, it was Philip. Because Philip grew up about nine miles away from where they were. So when Jesus asked this, what does Philip do? He begins to make excuses, right? He, he says in verse 7, It would take more than a half year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. I mean, sometimes I read the scriptures and I'm just so glad I'm not one of the 12 disciples because, like, I mean, these guys were not the sharpest tools in the shed. I mean, throughout the course of the New Testament, the people that were closest to Jesus were the ones who were continually missing it. Like, it just, it, it, it blows my mind. So Jesus proposes this crazy thing he wants to do, you know, feed thousands of people. And what's the first thing Philip does? He throws out an excuse. He says, Lord, are you crazy? Do you know what that would cost? Because we don't ever have conversations with God like that, right? God, are you crazy? I can't go on a missions trip. That costs like $1,000. Where am I going to get $1,000? You know, like, or this one, or this one. I love this one. Lord, I know you want me to serve in children's ministry once a month, but, and I know that I could probably make a difference in there, but I'm with my kids all the time. And, of course, like, those people are crazy. I know you know that because you created them and all, but man. I, or, or what about this one? Lord, I know your word calls us to give to you out of our first fruits, and I will. I, I will. I just, just as soon as I get that raise at work, you know? Oh, wait. Maybe we are a little more like Jesus' disciples than we would like to admit. I mean, does this all of a sudden feel a little too familiar? I mean, here's Jesus wanting to do something miraculous, and Philip is missing it because his faith is too small. And we do the same thing as a result of our small faith. We rationalize and we make excuses why we can't do what God is asking us to do. 
So at this point, Andrew speaks up in verse 9. He says, Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Andrew almost gets it right, but in the end, his statement is still full of doubt. This little boy gives them all the food his family had, and still Andrew's comment is, what good is this little bit of food with so many mouths to feed? This offering felt insignificant to Andrew. Have you ever felt that way? Like what you have to offer isn't significant enough? What Andrew doesn't realize about what this boy has done is that he's just given Jesus everything. It cost him a lot. He believed in who Jesus was, and to him, without a doubt, it was worth it because Jesus was rumored to be the Son of God. Andrew might have thought the boy's offering was insignificant, but that's because he was looking at it from a practical standpoint. Not at the heart of the offering. The heart behind an offering is what makes it significant, not the amount. So Jesus takes this seemingly insignificant offering, and what does he do with it? In verse 11, Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted, and they did the same with the fish. Jesus broke the loaves of bread and the two fish, and he gave thanks. Side note, no matter how little or much you have been given, never forget to give thanks for it. Jesus models that here. Jesus gave thanks for what he had been given and sent the disciples out with the instructions to distribute to the people as much as they wanted. I mean, can you imagine being those disciples walking out into a crowd of 5,000 plus people with this little tiny amount of food? I, I feel like that must have been like terrifying to them because Jesus didn't tell them what he was going to do before he was just doing it. And here's a secret. Jesus doesn't always tell us how he's going to provide before he just does it. He wants to see if we will walk with him in faith and trust and take that leap of faith. I believe we miss out on a lot of miraculous things God wants to do because of our unwillingness to just trust him and just do what he's asking us to do. I believe we as Christians have become a little too comfortable with the word impossible. And we can limit what God does in us and through us by assuming what is and is not possible. I mean, call, you can call me Looney Tunes, you can call me crazy, whatever you want, but I believe the Christian faith needs a few more mystics and a few less cynics. And I'm not talking about the, the New Age kind of mystics where you're listening to Yanni and yoga pants and candles and incense burning. No. 
I'm talking about people who are fully and completely sold out to the thought that God can do anything He wants to do. Whether it makes sense to me in the here and now, it's totally up to Him what is possible and impossible. And that type of person chooses to live a life of reckless abandon and fully surrender themselves before God. And that's the kind of people God is looking to change the world. So the disciples distributed the food and over 5,000 people ate until they were full because of what a little boy gave. And Jesus did with what the little boy gave. I say over 5,000 because the Bible only mentions the men. There were women and children there too. And after everyone had had all they could eat, Jesus says in verse 12, gather the pieces that are left over. Now counting the women and children, I mean, the number was probably more like some commentaries say, like more like 15,000 people. Can you, I, I just That blows my mind. And so Jesus says, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. The Bible tells us that once every piece of leftover was gathered from the five small loaves and the two fish, it filled 12 baskets. And all the people were in awe of what God had done. There's a really easy to miss lesson that the Bible teaches us in the leftovers. And it's the simple fact that God gives in abundance. He takes whatever we can offer, even if we feel it might be insignificant, and He multiplies its effectiveness beyond our wildest expectations. If you take the first leap of faith in making yourself and what you have available to God, He will show you how greatly you can be used in the work of the kingdom. No matter how big or how small, the heart behind the offering is what blesses the Father's heart. I remember one time, a little over a year ago, I have two boys, and one of them is five, his name's Owen, and then our oldest son is uh, eight now, and his name's Dylan, and he's a wild child. Um, But I remember a little over a year ago, my oldest son, Dylan, Uh, he gave me something that truly just to my core caught me off guard. See, my wife Kim and I... Hi, Kim. Um, My wife Kim and I had taken the boys to Disneyland the day before, and it was a surprise. And we just had a blast as a family. Like, we love Disneyland. And so, like, we were hooping and hollering and going on Magic Mountain. Or no, not Magic Mountain. Uh, Space, Space Mountain. There you go. And uh, the Matterhorn and all that stuff. And we were just, we had a blast. And so the next day, um, it was right about the end of the boys' quiet time. And we have enforced quiet time in our house because otherwise there would be none. <laughs> So, so we, we, I mean, that's, that's more true than I can convey right here. So, um, uh, so it's right about the end of the boys' quiet time, and Dylan comes out carrying something wrapped in an index card with writing on it. He puts it in my hand and says, Dad, I've been in my room searching, and well, this is the best thing I have, and I want you to have it. 
thanks for taking us to Disneyland. And so I think we have a picture of it. Um, so it it's <laughs> so I I begin to just open the index card and, and and there's this little piece of gold in it. And it's not really gold, it's actually a mineral that looks like gold. It's it's fool's gold. But Dylan said it was the most precious thing he had. And to him, it had great value. And to me on that day as a father, the, the fool's gold that he gave me was more precious than any real gold could ever be. Because of the heart behind my son's generosity, that fool's gold blessed my wife and I to tears. And friends, I'm here to tell you, our, our Heavenly Father feels the same way about you. And when you bring Him something in offering, He sees the heart behind it, and that heart fills Him with joy. About two weeks ago, I'm sorry, about two weeks into the sermon series, God laid on my heart that what we had planned for this sermon series wasn't enough. This group of sermons was originally supposed to end last week, but I I felt God burden my heart for those in our church family who are brand new to the faith, and also those who have just recently renewed their relationship with God that was long dormant. I felt God say to me, these people are going to need some encouragement. This group of people are going to need to know that if they take this leap of faith into releasing the hold that money has on their heart, I will meet them there beyond what they could dream. And guys, I'm not up here preaching prosperity gospel. I'm not saying that if you begin to give to God, He's going to make you even more rich than you already are because I believe we have established that we are already very rich. No, if that's what you've heard through this sermon series, we as teachers haven't done our job. What I am saying though, is if you spend your life trying to give back to God all that He has given you, you will never have a need. I believe that fully. I want to encourage you, if you're one of those people that God laid on my heart, just give it a try. Help a person in need this week. Try being generous with something you would normally keep a tight grip on. Maybe pray about whether God is leading you to begin tithing for the first time. Whatever God lays on your heart, just give it a try. And watch how the Lord will take what you give and do extraordinary things with it. Like He did with a little boy with five loaves of bread and two fish. We just need to take a leap of faith. We need to let go of the life where this money thing has a stranglehold on our heart and in turn our lives. We need to take hold of the scripture we have read so many times in this sermon series and begin to live it out. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, 
but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. This, in this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Guys, let's not settle for the life that society and the media is trying to sell. There is a life out there beyond what you can dream with peace with God. There is a life out there of generosity waiting. And guys, let's just go after this life that is truly life. Not the imitation life. The true life. Would you just bow your head with me as, the, as we pray? Father God, we're just in awe of you. We love you so much, Lord. And we are so thankful for what you continue to do in our lives. Jesus, we have so much, Lord. God, help us to loosen our grip on it. God, lay on our hearts this week what you would have us do. Lord, how this grip could be loosened, Father. Father, help us to realize that whatever we have, however little or however much, God, it's the heart behind what we give you. that you desire. God, help this message to sink deep into our hearts, Lord, and let us act in boldness. Father, we love you, and as the ushers come forward today, God, we... Lord, we bring before you our first fruits, Lord. We bring before you what we have to give, Lord, you whether it be of our time or of our money, Lord, or just an ear to listen to those in need, God. I pray, God, you would continue to lay on our hearts what we could do for you, God, and how we could grasp this life that is truly life. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.